Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,232 of the Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. I am Andy Zaltzman here in the shed of immutable veracity as the United Kingdom tentatively emerges into the second half of the reign of Queen Elizabeth, the unquenchably jubilatious. And to mark the beginning of the new interjubilesiotic phase in this country's life as we wait for the 71st anniversary celebrations next year, I've had my scalp surgically treated so my hair and hairline match the glorious bonsier of the Queen herself. My larynx has also been fully Elizabeth, so I sound exactly like the greatest British monarch of my life. Oh, hang on, no. I'm sounding just like I normally do. That's not. Let me check my mirror. Oh, my hair also looks the same as on. Oh, no, there's, there's been a terrible mix up in the ordering process. Uh, I've got to make a call. It's going to be very awkward. It'll have to wait till after the show. On we go. Welcome to the Bugle. It's Wednesday, the 8th of June, 2022. And I'm just a few thousand short but wet miles from the United States of America, from where both of our Bugle co-hosts this week uh, join me. From New York City, specifically Brooklyn, it's Hari Kondabolu. And from San Francisco, Nato Green. Uh, welcome, uh, both of you, from your uh, distant hosts. Hello, Hello Andy. Andy. Hi. Hello, Andy. Uh, yeah, I realised that by um, welcoming you both at the same time, that made that simultaneous response uh, inevitable. Which, um, you know, for, I'm, I'm quite new at this this uh, podcasting game. I haven't quite cracked it yet. <laughs> you know, Andy, Hari is one of my oldest friends in comedy, and so over those many years, we developed the kind of like just intuitive comic timing as to answer a question. <laughs> interrupting each other at the same time uh in, in a way that only friends could yeah. <laughs> well it's, it's lovely to have you both on the show on the show together which is uh, a bugle a bugle first uh to have you both on at the same time so um yeah don't f- it up that's what i'm saying noted uh, how are you, Hari? Why do you ask me that question every time <laughs> I'm on? First of all, you know the answer to it. You read the news. Secondly, like you have a phrase in the UK yep. to that that stands in for how are you? It's are you all right? And right. honestly, that is the appropriate question you should be asking every American whenever you talk to them. <laughs> are you all right? No, not really. <laughs> Pandemic nuclear threat still in in the background everyone's shooting each other people can't decide whether we should be allowed to shoot each other or not it's not good and i have a kid i brought a kid into this (laughs) but the mets are doing well all right so there's you know that's good isn't it it's too early and you know how that game is played oh they're, they're doing so oh what happened everybody got injured all the free agents that they signed got injured all at once yeah, yeah. This is this is uh, this is the setup. <laughs> the Mets know how to rope a dope. Uh, we are recording on the eighth of June. On this day in 1954, Joseph Welch, the special counsel for the United States Army, uh, had a pop at uh, Senator Joseph McCarthy um, and gave McCarthy the famous rebuke: "You have done enough. Have you no sense of decency, sir? At long last, have you left no sense of decency?" Uh, that was on this day in 1954, and it's good to know that the world of politics has moved on with such maturity that no leader could possibly hear such words ever said again. <laughs> As always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin this week. Alternative modes of travel. 
uh, people are increasingly looking to different means of getting around. Um, it's concerns, for example, that uh, well, people are losing faith in air travel due to administrative chaos, staffing troubles, d delays, hidden costs, the queues, because, frankly, what's the f***ing point of going anywhere? And also because the physics just simply doesn't hang together. Uh, also because of the uh, rising cost of fuel on the back of war, the free market's not always having humanity's best interests at heart and oil being a slippery little bastard all round. That's making people slightly more reluctant to drive cars around. Trains in some countries I've researched are a mixture of expensive, unreliable and shit. So people are looking increasingly to different forms of transport. We give you the pros and cons of some of these alternatives. Donkey, pro, you feel like a messiah. Con, it takes a long time to fill up when it runs out of fuel. Catapult, pro, it's environmentally friendly. Con, vulnerable to sudden changes in wind, which can blow you off course from your landing mattress with fatal results. Piggyback, pro, it's fun. Con, socially frowned upon for adults. Zorbing ball, pro, excellent 360 degree visibility. Con, slopes and physics are a disharmonious combination. Space rocket, pro, it's glamorous, fast and funky. Cons tends to return you back to where you took off from, cramped conditions and very poor in-flight service. And pterodactyl, pro, exciting, con, extinct. That section, in the bin. <laughs> Top story this week, America, still at war with itself. We're in a, in a fairly introspective phase here in Britain, really over, I don't know, the last hundred years or so. Um, maybe even <laughs> probably since, I don't know, things started going wrong in the 1770s. But America, it seems, is in just a permanent state of attempting to rend itself to pieces from within. Um, uh, in the aftermath of the latest uh, mass shootings, there um, has been talk of bipartisan congressional cooperation to try to find something that he slightly looks like a, a, a solution. I mean, is this actually going to bring about any possible results or, or will you know the, the end to america slaughtering itself really rid of any you know, of its kind of usp as a nation that you know it is more willing than any other country in the world to act against its own self-interest oh yeah we're number one at that <laughs> we're very good at acting against our own self-interest first of all the big news this week is that Republicans and Democrats are willing to talk to each other about creating a proposal for gun control. It's not that they've agreed to anything. It's simply that they're talking to each other, as they're supposed to do, as <laughs> legislators. And has has been the case for a couple of hundred years. But they just started talking about it and going back and forth. And there seems to be a lot of disagreements. Uh, for example, uh, the GOP is still a little wary uh, and, and about passing uh, any kind of federal legislation or, or anything that would uh, prevent people potentially with mental health issues from purchasing guns. Now, uh, the the left is worried because that seems to be a lot of the the gun violence we see in these mass shootings. Like a lot of the mass shootings are seems to be by people that shouldn't be owning guns. But the right's problem is that is a big part of their base, right? People who would not be allowed to buy guns if uh, there were mental health checks. And that is such a sizable proportion that to actually bend on that particular issue would be the downfall of the Republican Party. It's quite a competitive title, Harry, but that is one of the most depressing jokes in the entire history of the Bugle. I, hey, I, know, I knew NATO was here. I knew NATO was here. I had to come up with something. The gauntlet's been dropped, NATO. America 
uh, and particularly whiteness, I would say, is a murder-suicide pact with the planet. Texas Senator John Cordon said that we all agree that deranged, dangerously mentally ill people shouldn't have firearms. They call this a red flag law. Uh, now, the average gun owner owns five guns. If you want five automatic rifles, that is a red flag to me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just going to start there. Is that number because you know, when you have more rifles than limbs, that, that's going to require you to be using your teeth to fire the fifth of those rifles? So is, is right. that your... That's the limit for you, Nato. That's that's the limit. That that if you uh, if you have um, you know more guns than books in your house, I'm going to go ahead and call that a red flag. Uh, this bipartisan push now uh, uh, from from the from the Senate to pass gun control. Um, you know, there was a school shooting in Texas recently. It was incredibly tragic. School shootings are the only form of abortion that Republicans support. Um, what I've been reflecting on is I think about how our commitment to mass murder in the United States is that mass, mass murder is, is actually a form of privilege. And hear me out. Okay. Uh, uh, I've spent a fair amount of time in the third world. I've traveled pretty extensively in Latin America. There's a lot of violence. People get killed for a lot. But not for such stupid reasons. Like in in Latin America, if you're a sociopath with an assault rifle, you're given a job. Like you're a colonel in the secret police. You have a purpose. It might be to exterminate some villagers or fight narcos while being a narco. Uh, you know what I mean? But you have a mission. You don't go murder children because you're a virgin. That's a waste of bullets. Uh, according to a new poll from CBS, 72% of Americans think mass shootings could be could be stopped if U.S. politicians would only try, but 69% thought it was not likely that they would try. No wonder people are cynical about politics. We don't think politicians will even try to solve problems. Uh, it feels like we're peasants in the 14th century France just trying to harvest some carrots and hope the Hundred Years' War doesn't raise our hamlet <laughs> on its way through so we can die of bubonic plague in peace. <laughs> Almost half of Republicans think that mass shootings are the price of living in a free society. And I have a different idea of free, I realize. That's what, that's what I realize is that, like, for example, just recently in San Francisco, we had Carnival. It's one of my favorite events. It's a parade and street fair uh, celebrating the diversity and endurance of Latino culture in my neighborhood. And as I stood on the street watching vintage lowriders bounce down the street to a Portuguese version of Daft Punk's Get Lucky <laughs> while I ate an empanada and cumbia dancers on stilts walked by while lesbian roller skaters gave candy to children, I did not think this is, feels free and it really needs a mass shooting <laughs> uh, to just complete the, complete the weekend. So the, the Republicans and the Democrats in the Senate are negotiating and, uh, and they're far apart on a few points. Democrats want a bill to do things and Republicans want to act like they're doing things without doing things. Uh, and so I've gotten, I, I was leaked the notes that, of things that the Republican senators are adding to the gun control bill to reduce the risk of mass shootings without upsetting the gun lobby. Uh, one is a uh, new initiative to teach babies how to use a gun at the same time that they learn to latch onto the nipple. Uh, because the best defense against a bad man with a gun is a good baby with a gun. Um, <laughs> requiring children to wear school uniforms of bullet-riddled and bloody clothes so they look like they've already been shot, uh, <laughs> making every third gun out of avocado so that it will go bad suddenly three days after purchase <laughs> and stick up the house, uh, and training veterans with PTSD and arming them to be school security 
We're bringing back waterboarding in school. So during the negotiations, Biden gave a speech about his agenda for gun control, and a Republican senator involved in the negotiations described Biden's remarks as, quote, unhelpful but irrelevant. Uh, unhelpful but irrelevant sounds like a Yelp review of Christianity. <laughs> <laughs> There's three heathens on this, and we're all enjoying that joke. We're all enjoying that joke. We're all going to hell. So we can laugh about it there as well. Um, <laughs> well, Hari, I think your your depressing joke's not even top 10 now uh, after, after that. So. <laughs> if you didn't enjoy the joke, please email jews at thebugle.co.uk. <laughs> One of Biden's proposals that people are not interested in is, is to raise the, the gun age uh, to 21, right? And there's a lot of people when, when you know, several polls uh, show that people actually seem to prefer raising the gun age to 25, which makes sense because that's when the brain like solidifies a bit more. And I prefer 25 to 18 uh, because if we do that, there will be fewer school shootings, though there will be more shootings in colleges and at the workplace. And that is progress. It's <laughs> <laughs> like bleak tennis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was a lob. <laughs> there are a couple of proposals the Republicans have put out that are a bit, they're, they're fringy, but I see what they're doing. Um, one is that they're offering a tax credit for everyone who does not shoot somebody. <laughs> and you might think... Well, couldn't they just use that tax credit to buy a gun? No, because of the honor system. So, there you go. <laughs> honor systems work really well in politics. That's 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 good to uh, to, to to rely on that. I mean, there, there was another suggestion that that all triggers on guns should have a one hour delay, so you've got a, a cooling off period where you can really think about what you're doing. I think that might. Uh, I like that. I like that. Well. well, the other thing is, you know, the thing is, all these, even the. Uh, the uh, tax credit for not shooting someone, you know, clearly the, the, the Republicans aren't going to like the idea of the tax credit. So another proposal from further right was that um, under the law, shooters must yell for before firing. <laughs> so you have been given fair warning. Right. So uh, le learning from golf, essentially, which is not Correct. necessarily a sport at the moment that the world should be learning a lot from. Which is, would explain why Republicans immediately thought that was the best <laughs> approach. That's good. Yeah. We can learn from sport. Another question in the, um, the, the poll said, for states where buying a semi-automatic weapon, such as an AR-15, is legal, what should be the minimum legal age to buy one? And 5% of people said any age. Any age whatsoever. <laughs> so again, this you know this 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 idea of arming babies, I think, might you know actually has a surprising amount of public support. I mean, that's that's a kind of five percent. Uh, I mean, I think much, some of those five percent would presumably want to arm the babies in the womb uh, as well, uh, logically being pro-life as they are. <laughs> so we can build a better planet. Republicans would like that because they're. Uh... You know, pro-fetus and anti-woman, and an AR-15 in the womb would handle that situation. Yep. You've got to let the, the fetus defend itself. <laughs> but, of course, it's not the guns that kill people. It's pictures of people's private parts that kill people. And don't take this from me. J.D. Vance, a Republican nominee for the uh, Senate election in Ohio, does not want to ban guns, but he does want to ban pornography. 
there's been this sort of incredible uh, moment where, faced with a, a, a great concern about gun violence, Republicans are falling all over themselves to find other things to ban that are not guns. And that lists uh, the things that are harder to get uh, than guns. And uh, one of them is, uh, is, uh, is pornography. J.D. Vance, Ohio Senate candidate, uh, wants, to, wants to ban pornography um, because, I guess, the money shot will remind people of uh, mass shootings and uh, plant, plant the seed in a very literal way. Um, and so then people will be, be so hopped up uh, that they'll go out and shoot people. Uh, it's easier to get an assault rifle uh, in Texas than a vibrator. Um, uh, that story came out. Um, there's, and now there's a new, also a new initiative, a Texas uh, Republican uh, te- uh, state legislator, uh, Texas representative Brian Slayton is introducing a bill to ban children attending drag shows. Uh, that that's that that's the major threat facing the children of Texas. He thinks drag is sexualizing children, uh, which is kind of a, a self-own, uh, not 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 children doing drag, but children witnessing drag performances. Uh, because it tells us that he doesn't know the difference between children being sexualized and children enjoying themselves in any way at all. Um, so, you know, as someone who grew up in San Francisco, like, I love drag. My children love, love drag. They've been around drag queens their whole lives. Drag queens are amazing. They're like, they're like uh, you know, you learn about glitter and dancing uh, and, you know, how to, how to put on makeup. This is, the, the drag queens are the answer to gun violence. Uh, arm arm all the drag queens and mass shootings <laughs> go away. So <laughs> the stuff that Republicans are trying to ban instead of guns, they've re- they're really going for some deep cuts. It's quite remarkable. NATO, you said one thing I do want to comment on. You, you said that um, it's easier to get assault weapons in Texas than a vibrator. In Texas, assault weapons are used as vibrators. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't need to worry about it. Show. Um, I, I have a feeling that J.D. Vance is firing blanks. <laughs> That's not, he, he's not enjoying uh, pornography because he's firing blanks, so he wants to ban it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but I mean, the, the logic of you know, why would he want to ban uh, pornography? Is it because of the misogyny it engenders? It's not that. Is it because it's an exploitative industry in numerous ways? It's not that either. Is it because of its damaging impact? on the mental well-being and attitudes of young people. It's not even that. Is it because God, God himself gets very, very cross when he sees people's naughty bits and assorted wobblages? It's not even that. He wants to ban pornography because he says it's stopping young people from getting married and having children. It's quite hard to entirely follow the logic of that. I mean, I guess it does highlight one of the joys of multiple-choice questions in today's political landscape. You just wait for the most unbelievably stupid option and you won't go you won't go too far wrong uh, but but he i mean this is I, I, i'm trying to think you know what might make people stop wanting to have children you know it could be economic practicalities a lack of financial and social support for new parents changing life priorities and expectations generally these could all be factors but perhaps most important i think the thing really stopping people from having children is not wanting to bring a child into a world in which jd vance could be an elected representative <laughs> uh, i think that's that's the more pressing piece of logic you should be focusing on. Well, I mean, Andy, have you ever read some of the Republican proposals for biology textbooks? One of the, the key ideas around masturbation is if you keep masturbating, you will run out. 
um, <laughs> and then you can't have children. You will just you'll just run out of the sauce. Right. So that's what, the, that's what happened to the dinosaurs. <laughs> that's exactly. They just kept jerking off until there was just nothing nothing left to share to the world, uh, share with other dinosaurs. So it's the it's the same. Well, you see that. I mean, the, the T the T Rex even evolved shorter arms. Yep. to try to evolve away from its own inevitable demise. But it's still yeah, because it's because the T Rex were super good at jacking each other off. They. <laughs> J.D. Vance very much loves pornography. You do realize this is what it's about. He loves pornography very, very much to the point where it's affecting his work, his his marriage, really every, his, his friendships. So he's like, I can't stop. What do we do? Wait a second. Let us ban pornography so I can stop touching myself. That's what this is about. Jim Justice, uh, governor from West Virginia, blamed pornography for for gun violence, also blamed video games. I mean, it's often the way that, you know, influential, you know, cultural things are blamed for what happens. In, I mean, it's the same in Shakespeare's time. Shakespeare was blamed for there being a huge spike in the number of people comparing things to summer's days. So it, it's not just a modern <laughs> a modern phenomenon. Uh, and also, you know, it's not just video games. Board games, for example. Uh, Monopoly, first sold in the USA in 1935. And, you know, what, 80, 87 years later... We're witnessing the fruits of unbridled capitalism caused by that board game. <laughs> Moving on within America, Nate, pretty much every time you're on the show, you bring us up to date with um, some crazy bit of um, American democracy. What's uh, what's the latest? Well, uh, yeah, Andy, every time I'm on the bugle, California's in the middle of another stupid, pointless, reactionary recall campaign. This time, yesterday... Uh, the city of San Francisco, our district attorney, Chesa Boudin, was recalled. Uh, Chesa was elected a couple years ago as a reformer. And San Francisco is a city uh, allegedly so progressive that the right wing across the country uses it as a shorthand for woke gay eco-communism, which, you know, <laughs> don't threaten me with a good time. Um, so, but the voters of San Francisco will jettison our progressive reputation without hesitation if only some right-wing VC billionaire shithead dumps approximately $8 million into a fear-mongering campaign of lies to get a sense of how, which is about how much they spent on this recall, to get a sense of how much $8 million is, uh, that is enough to buy two houses in San Francisco. Um, so it's a lot of money. Um, we are only the 17th largest city in the United States, but... Uh, the national discourse gives all about the affairs of bigger cities such as San Diego, San Jose, or Fort Worth, Texas. But we are a metaphor, and so like because our DA was recalled, there's a wave of lame San Francisco trend pieces, uh, like the Associated Press alert of the recall of the DA. Quote, San Francisco voters uh, recalled DHS Boudin, a rejection of one of the nation's most progressive prosecutors in one of its most liberal cities, end quote, to which I say, eat my whole entire asshole, AP. You don't even go here. <laughs> um, so um, it is so irritating to live in a place where people elsewhere get paid enormous amounts of money to offer lazy and superficial opinions about your experience. Imagine you turn on the television and you watch show after show that are, are biopics of yourself written by someone you had one class with in college, never talked to, <laughs> but who sold a script about your life based only on them interpreting the stickers on your notebook. Uh, it's like, I, I can't be reduced to Motorhead, Genevieve. Come on. Uh, so what was the recall about? 
Well, Chesa Boudin ran as a reformer who promised to spend less time prosecuting crimes of poverty, more energy on rehabilitation programs, and hold, holding murderous police accountable. And once elected, he did what he said he was going to do, and other politicians said, we can't have that. Uh, a politician who keeps his promises, that makes yeah, the rest of us look bad. That's a slippery slope, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? So... Meanwhile, although violent crime has been down in San Francisco, the public narrative has been that crime is up. Why does it seem like uh, crime is up? Well, the police don't like being held accountable for their murdering, so they basically went on strike and refused to arrest people committing crimes in front of them. Uh, This is true. Uh, Last month, the DA launched a bust of a bobo shop that was selling, that was a front for selling stolen goods. And the police refused to participate in the raid, so he had to call an Uber to confiscate the evidence. What is our police department doing instead of uh, uh, fighting crime? Well, their top crime-fighting priority is making sure that the mayor does not have to see homeless people while eating a Niçoise salad for lunch at a sidewalk parklet. Uh, They are 100% on that menace to society and about 3% on anything else. Um, So no matter how much they fail... Uh, the solution is always to give police more money. They solve crimes, give them more money. They don't solve crimes, give them more money. They murder people, they need more training, more money. Uh, that's always the solution. It's, it's like this, the, California, the State Department of Justice is investigating SFPD right now because just a couple weeks ago they responded to a 911 emergency call and killed the victim. Uh, so we have years of reports that in the, that the SFPD is a racist, violent gang and recalling the DA definitely means more black people will get killed by cops in San Francisco. So this is, it's a moment that really crystallizes the difference between the right and, uh, and the center. There's just the right wing wants to kill black people and liberals will let black people be killed if a hobo shouts at them on their way to see Hamilton or someone breaks the window of their Subaru and steals their Wu-Tang Clan CD, they don't mind a little bit of fascism. They're just going to feel bad about it uh, as they go. So that's how things are going in San Francisco. Uh, uh, But on the bright side, I got one of those Japanese toilet seats. So my butthole is cleaner than it's ever been. So if you do want to eat uh, NATO's ass, this would be the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is peak time for for eating my ass. If anyone's interested, please please email eating NATO's ass at the bugle dot co uk. Uh, right. Well, there's a few few new email addresses flying around. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Nate, you mentioned that the San Francisco recall vote. We in Britain have had a, a sort of uh, recall vote in which the Conservative Party considered recalling uh, the Prime Minister that it has installed and enabled to wreak havoc up, upon this nation. Boris Johnson, however, survived the vote of no confidence this week. Um, it came about after the required 54 Conservative MPs submitted letters, yes, letters, to the chairman of the 1922 committee, don't even f***ing ask, saying they no longer had confidence in the Prime Minister. Why does this happen like that? No one f***ing remembers, but we're Britain, so we don't give a shit. Johnson won the vote 211 to 148. Suspicious numbers, you might think. 211 being the score of the first ever double 100 in Test Match cricket. And 148 being the score of the first Test 100 made at Lords, the home of cricket. Interpret that uh, however you want. So he's still Prime Minister after the Conservative Party, for whatever unfathomable f***ing reason, decided it still had a vague shred of confidence in him. I, I mean... I guess it's a no-confidence vote and that enough of them 
didn't have absolutely zero or indeed negative confidence in him as the vast majority of the country has. Maybe they thought the vote was whether Boris Johnson has confidence. And if there's one thing Boris Johnson has, (laughs) it's confidence. (laughs) That that is a fair point. So he's still clinging to power like a rat to its favourite turn. (laughs) A shriveling husk of a politician, a walking, talking shambling travesty of the democracy people supposedly died to protect in two world wars. But more than 40% of his own MPs voted against him. That's more than 40% of the Toryist possible Tories. More than 40% of the people literally paid to support him voted against him, and he's come out, and his supporters have come out, saying this was a decisive victory. It doesn't entirely... Um, uh, stack up. I mean, imagine the situation he's in. It's imagine playing uh, playing football, real football, not your crazy American version. Scoring a goal for your team, turning to celebrate, and finding that almost half of your teammates are arguing with the referee, saying the goal should be disallowed. That that is essentially where Johnson finds himself now. Apart from he's never come close to scoring a goal. <laughs> as pri- if we want to, that analogy to sustain, it's more that he squatted twelve yards from the goal, shat on the penalty spot, and then told Jacob Rees-Mogg to kick the shit into the goal. Then watched Rhys Mogg fall on his ass while attempting to kick the shit and land face down in the still warm turd before Johnson ran off celebrating, shouting, Johnson, what a goal. But then if you do that, the other part of the analogy doesn't really... Look, the point is, he's a pile of shit and his own team don't like him anymore. Boris Johnson's ethics advisor uh, said there was a legitimate question over whether he broke the ministerial code after getting fined uh, over the Downing Street parties. Now, breaking the ministerial code traditionally in the giving a shit about these kind of things era, a resignation offence. I like the idea of him having an ethics advice. I mean, taking on a job as Boris Johnson's ethics advisor, that is as touching a display of naivety and optimism as taking a defibrillator to a natural history museum, taking it into one of the dinosaur galleries, cranking it up and shouting, come on, Stuggy, I can't afford to lose another one. <laughs> an ethics advisor? <laughs> Wait a second. You mean a conscience? <laughs> he got yeah. hired to be Boris Johnson's yes. conscience? Well, yes, you have to have a human to be his conscience. Um, wow. Yeah. That's a job. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing that person has a lot of time on their hands. Yeah, I, I imagine it's about a three seconds a day job where you know basically you turn up and have a door slammed in your face and just go away and do, do, do whatever you want. Johnson's supporters have said he's the victim of a conspiracy to oust him. And I guess he has been, in a way, the victim of a kind of sinister Machiavellian plot um, in which he's been undermined and assailed by all the things he's said and done uh, ganging up (laughs) against him. So you can see that. um, uh, The official government anti-corruption champion, John Penrose, that was his official title, the anti-corruption champion. Now, I I don't think that is a particularly impressive title. I don't think the competition competition is as good as would be ideal in today's political (laughs) landscape. He says it was pretty clear that Johnson broke the ministerial code, uh, but luckily for Johnson, more than 200 of his MPs couldn't give a f*** about woke shit like dishonesty in Parliament, uh, breaking the law or ranking competence. But his problem, though, is that he doesn't really have any support left, apart from his, it seems, his kind of close 
coterie of um, of political acolytes. Because, I mean, even the, the Tory press have turned against him quite strongly. A lot of them think um, he's not conservative enough. Other people think he's too conservative. Some think he can't be trusted to do the right thing or indeed trusted to do anything or just can't be trusted full stop, the evidence being, amongst other things, his entire life and career to date. Some people will never like him because he helped concoct and then drive through Brexit. Some people have turned against him because he drove through the wrong Brexit or drove it through too hard or insufficiently hard or hard enough but in the, at the wrong angle. Um, some people think that his charisma and novelty have worn off. Others could never see what this mythical charisma was since he seemed to be and has proven to be ever since a shambolicist charlatan shithead. So it's... It's hard to see how he can win enough of these sceptical groups over uh, to stay in power, but but we shall see. I saw uh, the, a quote that, that uh, it said, Johnson had embarked on a last-minute bid to win over colleagues, but a number of Tory MPs said that they were, quote, surprised by the lack of effort put in. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, why change now, Johnson? <laughs> so... <laughs> I also liked there was one uh, conservative uh, source who, in his defense, asked regarding the Downing Street parties, is there anyone here who hasn't gotten pissed in their lives? Um, (laughs) And that's a fair question. Yes, of course we've all gotten pissed, but most of us have managed to get by not getting pissed while running the government. Um, (laughs) I I have many important life events or periods of intense responsibility in which I had the presence of mind to not violate rules that I made Uh, (laughs) that's amazingly self-disciplined of you NATO but not everyone has that that club in their bag sadly Sir Charles Walker said defenestrating a PM is a horrible terrible thing uh, until he brought it up, no one was talking about defenestrating the PM. But uh, now that you're mentioning it, uh, it's not the worst idea. Uh, so. <laughs> that could be the highest grossing pay-per-view event in the history of British television. <laughs> Particularly, I mean, I think the, the original defenestrations in the 17th century, people were chucked out of the window into a pile of shit, weren't they? Didn't they did land in like a pile of dung and hay and stuff? <laughs> Oh, so, I, I just had to look up defenestration. I was worried it meant castration, and I just wanted to double check. <laughs> I'm like, I really don't get your system at all, Andy. Jeez, that um, is harsh. Harsh, but and in Johnson's case, way, way too late. Oh, yeah. <laughs> However, fortunately for Britain, for four days, we didn't have to think about all this shit, because since we last reported from this kingdom, Queen Elizabeth II has jubileed the living shit out of this place. Yet again, Bessie Banknotes balconied yet again. Can you use balcony as a verb? I think you can verb anything these days. Uh, extending her British balconying record. Huge celebrations across the land to celebrate the woman's insatiable patience, if nothing else. I mean, not many people want to do a job unbroken for seven decades straight, 24-7, 365 and a quarter, without even the notional possibility of prom- promotion. And she has stuck with that. Even though there, there is no career progression with being queen, that's it. You know, she could have you know gone a different direction and and tried to build something else up, but she stuck with it, and we have to uh, we have to respect that. Uh, was the jubilee big news stateside? Very much. Here's what you could have had. No, no, we well, have the Kardashians, <laughs> and plus we have we have the good one. We have Meghan and Harry's. So we got the we got the good All ones. Right, so we're yeah. good. Wait, so does Charles have to fake a smile through the whole thing? Yes. Oh, my God, she's still alive. Oh, my God, I'm so happy. My mummy's still alive. 
<laughs> so he, every time he sees her, he just has to be like, this is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> Obviously, the monarchy is not everyone's cup of tea, as America proved by turning Boston Harbour into a cup of tea um, <laughs> back in the day. Um, but that, but the Queen is personally very popular. There's no real threat, I think, to the monarchy as a concept um, at, at the moment. And um, But whatever your views on the Queen, her role, her family and her theme song, uh, you know, wherever you stand, whether you're pro or against or, or couldn't really give a shit, what you cannot argue with is that if you offer the British people two extra days off work, we will celebrate the f*** out of anything. And that four-day weekend, two extra bank holidays... I think that is... I mean, we've seen the turning points in British history caused by things like this. There was a rumour that the, the turning point... The key moment of the Battle of Hastings in 1066 was when William the Conqueror shouted, we'll give you next Wednesday off, and the battle just turned. And um, <laughs> that's... We've, we've, we've clung on to that. So no pangs of regret that, you know, when you saw... You, you talked about your, your, um, your parade in San Francisco, but well, we, had a, we had a parade with giant mechanical corgi dogs. Um, I mean, surely you must have been a little bit, little bit jealous of that. I'm watching the 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 carnival parade. I I I discovered that uh, you know they talk about sexuality as a spectrum, and I realized that my sexuality is uh, at the at the at the cusp of samba dancer and gay circus performer. Um, so uh, yeah, we celebrated the jubilee in America by letting by talking about Johnny Depp uh, being being an <laughs> abuser. So that was how we commemorated the Queen's reign. So the Jubilee means 70 years of service. H- how are you defining service? Oh, well, that's, um, that's a, a very complicated question, Harry. Um, very complicated. I think it's predominantly uh, being on, on our coins um, okay. and never being allowed to say or do anything. That's really the recipe for the Queen's popularity is that she has skillfully avoided being allowed to say or do because it's really when politicians start saying and doing things right, right, right. that the magic fades, isn't it? Okay. Okay, so you're saying the way that in, in the U.S. house arrest is a form of, uh, I suppose, prison, quote-unquote, for white-collar criminals, that's a form of service by staying in your house. Yep. She kind of is doing the same thing by just getting out of the way and just yes. not being allowed to do anything. Well, yeah, and also she has a lot of other jobs uh, as well as queen she's a uh, commissioner in chief of the royal canadian mounted police oh um, oh that, that's a fact when was the last time that she had an assignment <laughs> i think she bust a drug ring in uh, in montreal last weekend <laughs> okay okay she's also a member first class of the order of the lion um in malawi um i don't know exactly what that involves but i imagine okay. quite a lot of roaring has she been to malawi I think it goes every two or three weeks. I think she, okay. she doesn't. She doesn't call it visiting, though. She does. She calls it plundering. <laughs> old habits die hard in this country, and it does mean legally lions are not allowed to eat the queen. Um, she is also head and fountain of justice, order, and honour in Australia. Um, I mean, I don't know again what that involves. She's the right, uh, right. honorary Knievel of the Order of the Grand Canyon. And the Lady High Funkadelica of the Order of the Groove. So many, <laughs> many testing jobs. It, it's strange that she goes to other countries. Like, do you know who else goes to the scene of crimes that they've committed? <laughs> Serial killers. They like to scope out the places they did things and get the secondhand high of the murders they committed. It's weird that she does the same thing. Yes. I mean, she didn't personally commit the murders or didn't steal most of the stuff herself. So I think it's... um. 
okay. But, you know, as a representative, that's very much the role that the, the, the monarchy has. I'd like to know if she's swiped anything, though. I have a feeling that she's <laughs> visited embassies and things. And like, oh, wait a second, the silverware. She's not making any money, Andy. It's like, <laughs> she needs to, you know, she can't just buy stuff without having a bunch of paperwork, I'm sure. So it's like, yeah, I want, I want all this china. I'm going to take it now. She also uh, was given an honorary doctorate of music from the University of Wales. Does she have a bachelor's? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think they just bumped her straight up to... She did a... A doctoral thesis on the super furry animals, I believe. The, uh, influential nineties <laughs> rockers. Um, I would have gone with super chunk, but fair enough. <laughs> I love it when Andy works in pop culture references to jokes. <laughs> it's like it's yeah, it's cool. like it's like watching an otter play the harpsichord. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think did happen on one of the super furry animals later on. Actually, uh, she. Um, uh, had to use the uh, the gold state coach, which is a sweet little set of wheels from 1762 that makes up in ludicrous ostentation what it lacks in speed, manoeuvrability, functionality, driver aids like sat-nav and a rear bumper camera, undercar lighting and a sound system with some serious bass. And um, she apparently used, she used it in her coronation in 1953 and described it as being like the idea of Boris Johnson remaining as Prime Minister. Uh, not in those words. She described it as horrible and not at all comfortable. Um, <laughs> William the Fourth apparently described it as like tossing in a rough sea. You can interpret that um, however you want. This, co- I mean, this this illustrates the role the royal family has in our country. This gold coach from 1762 that is deeply uncomfortable is staffed by nine walking grooms, one of whom has to walk behind the coach, six footmen, four yeomen of the guard, and four postillions. Now, no one knows what the f- Postillions are, but that is a total of 23 people needed to make a gold cart work. That is what we do in this country. That that is the way we keep our unemployment figures down. Man, would somebody just make her a statue and rent out the the palace already? Like this just seems like there's more. There's money to be made. What is this? <laughs> Still holding on to this. I mean, every time I get hard on the U.S. and our stupid reality show culture and everything, I think about, oh, you all started it. <laughs> it wasn't even televised. You just, you just started writing stories about it. And then, you know, the, and obviously it was no longer relevant. And you're like, let's keep it going. Let's spend millions upon millions of pounds to keep this fantasy going. There haven't been dragons for years, Andy. Why do you need kings and queens? <laughs> it's all we've got left. Sorry. And also, I didn't actually see any of the Jubilee because I was uh, being um, uh, contractually obliged to watch four days of cricket. Um, so I, I missed the celebration. But some of the I mean, the coverage was you know, the way they described the tr- ceremonial garb, the tight-fitting gloves. These, of course, are the gloves worn by the Northern Irish snooker referee Len Ganley in the 1983 World Championship final. <sighs> Between Steve Davis from Romford, perhaps the Queen trying to quash the burgeoning Essex independence movement, and representing the Queen's Commonwealth subjects, Cliff Thorburn of Calendar. Glorious day. Uh, I, I have a, I have a, a breaking update. So I just, oh, yeah. out, of, out of curiosity, as you were talking, Andy, I decided to, because I also don't know what a postillion is. <laughs> so I, and I like to learn. Hurry, hurry learn the word defenestrate. So I want to know what a postillion is. So I went on LinkedIn. And I searched for postillion jobs, and um, 
uh, what was returned was actually a position for a, a mammographer in Wisconsin. So I think it's interesting that the Queen travels with the assortment of mammographers from um, Wisconsin. They're specifically from Wisconsin. Wisconsinian mammographers. Yep. Yeah, to I guess keep an eye on her breast health while she's in the carriage. <laughs> Maybe that's why it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> it must be hard to press her breast into the plates for the mammogram <laughs> while she's in the carriage. Uh, uh, see, I know you're not you're not geographically in the United Kingdom, but you know, this podcast is based here, and I think you might have just earned yourself a uh, fifty year spell in the Tower of London. <laughs> talking talking about the Queen's Waps. <laughs> Well, that brings us to the end of this week's uh, this week's bugle, which has been, I'm not like to say, uniquely depressing, but I don't think that's necessarily uh, the case. Um, anyway, uh, thanks very much uh, for uh, listening, buglers. Um, Nato, Hari, have you got uh, any shows or anything else you would like to alert our listeners to? I do, Andy. Thank you for asking. Good. I am recording uh, an album and a special in Brooklyn, New York, uh, on July first. Uh, June 30th and July 1st. Uh, two of the shows are sold out, so we still have some tickets for the 9.30. And I would love Bugle people there to see how a baby and Andy Zaltzman have ruined my stand-up comedy. <laughs> so uh, at the Bell House in Brooklyn, July 1st. And if you're in other cities, uh, I'll be in Houston on the 10th. I'll be in uh, Detroit on the 11th. Minneapolis on the 18th. Chicago from the 23rd to the 25th at the Den Theater and. Uh, Baltimore on the 28th. All of those dates can be found, along with ticket links, on hurrykundabolu.com. That's Google Hurry Comedian. Find a link that looks vaguely like my name and click it. And that's where you'll find it. After today's depressing bugle, I'm just going to focus on my new career path, which is becoming a full-blown swamp Maoist. Uh... (laughs) But uh, failing that, um, uh, I have two albums out, uh, the NATO Green Party and the Whiteness album. They are, uh, because Spotify is fighting with the comedy business right now, um, uh, the best way to get them is on Bandcamp, uh, where the artists, if you purchase the albums on Bandcamp, art, the artist gets the most royalties. So uh, please go buy my albums on Bandcamp or uh, at NATO Green on Twitter, Mr. NATO Green on Instagram. Uh, well, uh, Buglers, you can still hear uh, the news, current series of the News Quiz via BBC Sounds. The last episode is this uh, this week. And if you like cricket, I'll be banging on about that for the rest of the summer. Um, until next time, Buglers, goodbye. You can listen to other programmes from The Bugle, including The Bugle, The Last Post, Tiny Revolutions and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.